0: I'm Mohammed Jahanzeb. I work at University of Miami, Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Centre.
1: You've been looking here at non-small cell lung cancer. What was the big challenge you decided needed to be looked at here and that you've been investigating
0: with this retrospective review? Basically, when we do clinical trials prospectively, a lot of the real-world patients are excluded due to their other conditions, other comorbid conditions due to very strict criteria of not having spread to the brain, for example, which is very common in this disease. So we thought it was really important to go to a database repository where a lot of the records are stored for these patients and do a deep dive on those patients on the subset that's positive for ALK.
1: Now this is, of course, because you're looking specifically at ALK inhibition and
0: its use in those patients who can have it appropriately prescribed. Yes, so this is a very specific subset of adenocarcinoma variety of lung cancer. Only about 5% of patients are ALK positive and they have otherwise very rapidly proliferative disease, very high rate of spread to the brain, nearly half the patients have spread to the brain. At presentation in their lifetime, 70% of patients have spread to the brain. So ALK inhibition represents a real opportunity for these patients. Can you tell me what you did in this survey? So in this survey, once we identified the non-small cell lung cancer subset of patients in the database, then we found ALK-positive patients, nearly about 600 patients, that had been treat- treated various different ways. About two-third had received chemotherapy before, and then there were targeted therapies coming to the market from 2013 onwards, starting with crizotinib. So majority of the patients had received crizotinib as first-line therapy as that was the only guideline-compliant therapy at the time. And then additional drugs came to fore like uh, electinib, seritinib, and most recently, brigatinib. What were you hoping to get out of this study? We wanted to, first of all, see uh, patterns of treatment, and most importantly, we wanted to see, do these patients do as well as the patients on clinical trials? Is the clinical trial data even applicable to general population? And we were delighted to find out that actually it does. Their median progression-free survival was in the same ballpark as we see in clinical trials, and they did just about the same. The only couple of differences were that uh, in our database, we found they were a little older, showing an age discrimination bias perhaps in clinical trial entry criteria, even though it's not explicitly stated. But once you eliminate comorbidities, you select younger patients. And then we also found out that their preponderance of smoking was a little higher in the real world than clinical trial data would reflect. Mm.
1: So could you run me through exactly what
0: the data were in approximate terms? And approximately nearly 600 patients were identified, and uh, nearly uh, two-thirds had received chemotherapy before, and nearly uh, three-fourths had received crizotinib as their first-line therapy. And then there was a vanishingly small number as you came from prior era to recent era with these compounds, electinib, and brigatinib, respectively, such that with brigatinib, we only had four patients in the database. So no further sub-analysis is possible until we go back uh, and do this again in the future when there are more brigatinib patients in the database.
1: And the response data approximately
0: were what? The response data to these drugs uh, are anywhere between... Uh, 40 to 60% response rate depending on the line of therapy that you are talking about. So these are very effective drugs Uh, and they the newer molecules like electinib and brigatinib penetrate central nervous system so you don't have to do whole brain irradiation, which is a major, major advance in treatment of this subset of patients because whole brain irradiation causes neuropsychiatric problems two, three years down the road, which previously was not a problem and average survival was 10 months. Now that these patients live nearly five years, it's a huge problem. So we try to avoid whole brain irradiation at all costs. And in ballpark figures, what sorts of median progression-free survival and overall survivals were you finding? Well, in this uh, database, uh, it was about eight months. Uh, Previous studies have shown in second line, after crizotinib failure, survivals of uh, six to nine months, so it uh, jibes with that. Crizotinib itself, first line, has about 10-month progression-free survival, but the newer drugs uh, have uh, way better survival. Electinib is now at most recent report, 34 months, and brigatinib data are not that mature yet, but recently in Toronto we saw it one year, landmark analysis, it looked similar to electinib in terms of its uh, efficacy endpoints. What are all of these drugs, do you think, doing to overall survival data? I think overall survival of nearly five years is unprecedented and very exciting to those of us who treat lung cancer.
1: But it is happening now on your data?
0: It is uh, happening already Uh, in not just this database, but in all of the clinical trial data that has been recently reported. Uh, The survival in this database was closer to three years, uh, but the five-year number that I'm quoting is now involving uh, more follow-up and involving the second generation of ALK inhibitors.
1: What might be the indications for using crizotinib and what might be the indications for using some of the other ALK inhibitors?
0: So the randomized trials, both in Japan and worldwide, JLX and Alex for electinib, that have relatively mature data, brigatinib is not mature yet, but it appears to be good at first blush. But electinib data show 10 months for crizotinib, 34 months for electinib in a randomized trial. So that type of delta, 340% improvement in... Uh, progression-free survival, not overall survival, which would be longer, but progression-free survival is unprecedented. I don't know of any other example in oncology of this type of diversion of results. So in your clinic at the moment, what sorts of advice are you giving to
1: patients who are ALK positive and therefore suitable for treatment with
0: one or other of these agents? I tell them that they're very unlucky to get lung cancer. But they are super lucky to have elk positive lung cancer because they're going to do better than any other subset of lung cancer. So I give them a lot of positive message, a lot of hope. I quote the near five-year average and tell them that the half the patients would be above average and half below average, so they could even do better than close to five years. So my message is one of hope for the patient.
1: And you are leaning now towards what are called the second-generation agents, are you?
0: Yes. Uh, there's no rationale to give an inferior agent when you have a superior agent available. There are still countries that don't have anything other than crisotinib available. That's why if you look at NCCN guidelines, crisotinib is still listed as one of the options, even in the latest edition, but it says after electinib preferred, within parentheses. Now, you
1: mentioned some of the data are immature. How is it looking at the moment about which agents could emerge as the front runners?
0: Well, electinib right now is the front-runner. That's why it's preferred in NCCN guidelines. Brigatinib looks very promising because at one-year mark, like I mentioned, the data looks similar. And the advantage is that the side effect profile may be better. It does not have the myalgias. It doesn't have the edema. And electinib is four pills twice daily, and brigatinib is one pill a day. And these things matter to patients. Compliance goes down when you have to take pills more than once a day. Compliance goes down when you have to take too many pills. So I think that right now Brigatinib looks good. Next to that, Lordlatinib is next in the pipeline. It may gain rep- approval within a couple of months. And, and then and Sartinib is another one that's in the pipeline.
1: What is it that's different about the second-generation agents that makes them give these superior
0: progression-free survivals? But patients progress because their cancer cells figure out a mechanism of resistance and escape the treatment. So treatments that cover more escape routes cause longer progression-free survival. For example, there's a mutation g 1202 r that's particularly problematic, and brigatinib covers it at its full dose of 180 milligrams. Other ALK inhibitors that are currently available do not cover it. Lorlatinib covers it also, but it's not available yet. It's not FDA approved yet. So I think it's the coverage of mutations uh, that increases the progression-free survival for newer agents. Could you summarize for me what the take-home
1: messages for busy cancer doctors should be at this point?
0: From this abstract the take-home message is that the real world patients are doing just about the same as clinical trial patients and patients have many options now even though this population was a little bit older and a little bit more smokers uh, than we see in clinical trials they're still there. PFS is in the same ballpark as we have seen on clinical trials. This bodes well for everybody that our knowledge that we have created through research is generalizable to general populations.